This is Living Forever, Not an Option, a podcast brought to you by Care Dimensions, a provider of hospice, palliative care, and support services in Massachusetts. Your hosts are Lynn Skarmis and Mary Crow. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Living Forever, Not an Option, with your hosts, Lynn Skarmis and Mary Crow of Care Dimensions. This is our third episode, and today's episode is all about who is driving the bus, taking charge of your health care wishes. And yes, when I say health care wishes, it means that you're planning ahead of time for your health care needs and not waiting until there's a crisis situation like a terminal illness or an accident, which at that point you probably won't be able to make the decisions on your own. Can you imagine not being able to make your own decisions when you're choosing a college, planning for a wedding, buying your first home, or even picking your baby's name? This is why we're talking about this topic today, because you want to be in control of your decisions moving forward. So, hey, Mary, how you doing today? Good, Lynn. How you doing? I am doing great. Excellent. Glad to be back here. Um, but, I'm, you know, we're talking about a lot today, but I um, wanted to talk about this, you know, who's driving the bus, because you'd think it would be an easy topic to discuss and plan for, but you and I know better. People always shy away from talking about end of life. And um, healthcare wishes, the healthcare wishes um, that will determine how these people are cared for at end of life. So tell me, how many excuses do you hear almost on a daily basis why people don't want to plan for their healthcare wishes? All the time, all the time. People, people shy away. The, the topics, I, the, I always say this, the topics we need to talk about most are the ones we run from the furthest. And this is a biggie. People just don't want to talk about this, and if we don't talk about it, it's not going to happen. Yeah, you know, that's so. what I'm thinking. Don't talk about <laughs> it. Someone said that to me. If I don't talk about it, it, w- it never will happen. <laughs> well, if it was only true. So the, the reality is we've got to take charge. People want to have charge, but they don't want to do what is necessary to take charge. You know, so it's, I think it's actually the act of going through it that scares people. So when we talk about driving the bus or taking charge of the health care wishes, we're talking actually about um, people doing their advanced directives. That's right. Can you go into a little bit, because I know people think of advanced directives even before I, you know, started in hospice care and have been, you know, been with Care Dimensions and hospice for seven years. I didn't even know what an advanced directive is. But can you kind of give people a, an overview of what, you know, what it entails? Absolutely. So let me define advanced directive for you. So it's An advanced directive is a legal document that we put into place when we're able to make decisions for ourselves, who we would want making those decisions when the day comes that that we're not able to do it. So it's it's a legal document. We're putting this in advance. That's why it's called an advanced directive. Advanced directives come in different categories. One one type of advanced directive is a healthcare proxy. A second type of advanced directive, a second category, would be a durable power of attorney. A third category of advanced directives is a living will. So as you can see, there's different forms of advanced directives. So it's important that I think that we touch on a lot of these, on all of these, so that people understand the distinction. Because it's important to have all three of them done? Not everybody is going to have all three. So if you had to have, and people will say this to me, if I have to do one of these, what is the most important? Listen, I do think they're all important, but it's Im- it's imperative that people have a healthcare proxy completed. It's just the, a, a document that everybody 18 and over should have. Some people don't do durable powers of attorney. That stuff focuses on on more financial issues for the most part. 
And living wills is that other category I talked about. Living wills are a, like a personal directive, which is very important to have. Living wills are not a legal document in the state of Massachusetts, but it's still an important guideline. And if you'd like, we can talk more about that as we go on. Okay. And you you just mentioned an age of 18. So um, what age do you feel that people should start planning or putting together their advanced directives, especially, like you said, their health care proxy? 18 and over. Eight. You're an adult. When my daughter turned 18, her physician wouldn't talk to us any longer. That is correct. That's the way it should be done. She was doing this right. She turned, and she was an adult at 18. My daughter had to call the physician and actually give permission uh, to the physician for her to talk to her parents about any of her health care things. That's the way it should be done. So 18 and over. Now, how many 18-year-olds are you th that are thinking about this, right? Oh, the 18-year-olds think they're, you know, nothing's ever going to happen to them. That's right. And that's part of the problem is, see, we, we think that advanced directives or healthcare proxies are really just for people who are old, uh, that, that, you know, they're frail or they have uh, an advanced illness, that sort of thing. Unfortunately, advanced illness accidents are not a respecter of age. So in 18 and over, we have to have that person appointed who who's going to speak on our behalf because if we don't have that person in place and an alternate which we can talk about mm -hmm. if we don't have that in place our family does not have authority to make decisions it just doesn't defer to them so what happens so if someone 18 you know a young child a young person does get into an accident yeah. they're in a coma they're yeah. in the hospital they don't have a health care proxy who decides it goes what to happened? guardianship so it takes it out of the hands of the parents, Absolutely. every loved one that That's even if they've had discussions with their child, they would know what they want. It's taken right out of their hands. Legally, they do not have the right to make decisions on that person's behalf if they were not appointed as their health care agent. So the, the family would have to go and petition guardianship, which is costly and time consuming. And it's not always guaranteed that you're going to have the person that you want. And that would be true. I know we're talking about an 18-year-old, but, you know, again, we're in hospice. So mm -hmm. I look at this and say, you know how many people that we work with on a daily basis who are fighting a terminal illness or not even fighting, they're, they're you know, they've been diagnosed with a terminal illness. They have a six months or less diagnosis. And if they don't have their health care proxy, their, you know, their um, advanced directives pulled together, when the ending is coming and their, you know, their, their last days are there, they don't have these documents, they could be rushed back to the hospital, CPR could be being performed, so much could be happening to them that they never wanted or expected. Right. Right? Oh, absolutely. Well, so there's two components to this. One is picking your health care agent wisely, which is a big thing too, because it's one thing, we have to have that, we want to have our health care proxy in place, but the other component is pick your health care proxy wisely, because the person that you're appointing as your health care agent should not have to make life or death decisions on your behalf. What they should be doing is honoring your wishes. There's a big difference. This is a heavy burden for people to make life or death decisions for somebody that you love. Really, when you make your wishes known, the person is following through on those wishes. They should be honoring that. But it's very important that you pick your healthcare proxy wisely so the person that you're appointing in that spot is truly gonna honor your wishes. How do you know if they're going to? So you have to have that discussion. Right. And I have to say, my sister, who's in her 50s, just pulled all her um, 
all her paperwork, all her advanced directives, her healthcare proxies together. And she had a conversation with me and said, you know, if something happens to me, this is how I want my healthcare decisions made. And she chose me as her healthcare proxy because she knows I'll follow them. Whereas someone else, you know, might not allow CPR, right. not allow the event to keep her alive if something happened. Right. So she's trusting me with her last wishes. That's right. Which, like you said, it is a heavy burden. But, yep. and you, you know, you could have family members upset with you, but you have to do what they want. Yeah. And it's, I feel like it's less of a burden. So in terms of if you're making life or death decisions on a person's behalf, that's a heavy burden to hold. I'm not minimizing it. It's still it's still a challenge and you do have to stand up to other families if they disagree. But when you're you know what the person wants, you are honoring their wishes, you're following through on that. I feel that the burden lessens a bit. The other piece to this too, so that there's not a lot of um dissension in a family it's important that that person let other people know what their wishes are so that when that time comes, the healthcare proxy isn't just standing up and saying, oh, so-and-so wanted, like your sister in that situation, you know, this is what she said that I that she wanted. Well, she never said it to me. You see what happens? So that there, there can still be that. So I think it's important that that person also discusses that or just lets people know. There's ways that you can put those wishes even down in writing. And those things are important to do, too. I think it minimizes a lot of that, uh, the problems that can happen towards the end. More about Care Dimensions. Care Dimensions provides compassionate care throughout all stages of an advancing illness. Our expansive services and expert staff honor the richness of patients' lives, addressing complex medical issues as well as emotional, spiritual, and family concerns. We treat patients with dignity and respect so they may live as fully as possible. Care Dimensions, one of the nation's first hospice programs and the region's largest, provides services in more than 95 communities in eastern Massachusetts. For more information, please visit our website at www.caredimensions.org or call us at 888-283-1722. kind of funny because we're in the business we're we're in hospice you know we deal with death and dying we deal with end of life with compassionate care um, and we work with this nurse it's kind of funny because we work with this nurse who again is our age you know and I know we're young but we're you know we're in our 50s people um, and it you know we've talked to her for two years and said to her, you need to get your health care directives um, pulled together. So I called her. To, I called her today. I said, we're doing this. We're doing this. You know, the podcast. And I want, you know, I want your opinion why you didn't do it. And I want your comments. Or, you know, what's happening now that you've completed the advanced directives? And what she said to me is, um, I was superstitious. Huh. I was afraid that if I did my advanced directives, then something bad would happen. Right. I, and I'm like, okay, I can see that. And this is a nurse yes. with, you know, with a strong background in, you know, in um, advanced illness care. Yep. And then I said, how do you feel now that it's done? And she said, um, I have a sense of relief. I feel at ease like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. And then her comment was, my husband now knows what my wishes are if anything happens to me. And I thought that was a really powerful thing oh, because even, like you said, writing it all down, putting the paperwork throwing in a drawer and not telling anybody about it, you know, you could have it all set. But if, you know, if 
your husband doesn't know if, you know, your physician doesn't know, if the hospital doesn't know, what good is it at that point? It's, it's not any good at all, absolutely. And and so there's the two components to it. One is, like you say, having the document filled out, but the other piece is having the conversation. Now, in that, that scenario that you're talking about, which, and isn't it a riot, a healthcare a right person in healthcare. Healthcare, yes. I, I was doing a program for 30 nurses, and I said, how many of you think it's important to have a healthcare proxy in place? All 30 hands shot up. I said, how many of you have one? None. <laughs> None of them had it. Now they, and, and so I love the, the point about the superstition. It's called magical thinking, right? So if I fill this out, something bad's going to happen. Truthfully, Lynn, I've had my healthcare proxy in place since I was 25 years old. 25. You were one of the smart ones. So, yeah, well, I was in healthcare young. I was, you know, at 22, I was out of grad school. I was already in the health field, and I knew how important it was. I wanted to take charge. See, a lot of times, too, people, how do you pick your healthcare proxy? Well, we just automatically think we have to pick, pick the people that are closest to us. Like in this nurse that you were just referring to, you have to have the conversation with the person if they truly don't feel that they can honor those wishes. If it's too hard, if it's just too much emotionally for them, that's not the person for the job, right? So it's not um, being um, punitive to that person that we love. It's actually, I think, a loving thing to do that if that person really can't do it, if it's too much of a, a really a burden for them or a challenge, doing what you want in that way, that shouldn't be the person you put in that place. So it's important that you talk to them. Pick your healthcare proxy with your head and not your heart yes. so that you're making very wise decisions. Who you, who are you know that would honor those choices? Here And just like your sister, she, she chose you because she knew that you would follow her wishes to the T. That's a good healthcare proxy. Have an alternate also. And how many alternates can you have? You usually just have one alternate you or two? Ha- or you, well, generally you have one, but you can have, it depends on the, f- the, the, the tool or the form that you're using. Um, sometimes if you do your health care proxy like through an attorney, sometimes they'll actually have more than that, even a, a third or a fourth. See what happens. Can I ahead. ask you, Mary, yeah. like if there's a second or third in there, can they outweigh the first person, the first no, health care proxy? No, they're an alternate. So what happens is, Really what the alternate is for is if the person as the who's appointed as the agent, let's say that I've had many situations in my career in the medical field where the person that was appointed as the agent predeceased the person who oh. appointed them. And there's been no updated Correct. paperwork. Correct. Oh. So or the person might be ill or even out of the area. Let's say they're out of the country, they can't be reached. And then it goes to the alternate. So the people that are listed as the alternate are not taking, they're, they're really not making those decisions. They're there if that first person who you have appointed can't do the job. Okay, and that I can see where that would happen. It, ha- the, it happens a the, lot. The first, the first person listed would not be available yes, or it, it can can't make easily. that decision. That's correct. So if they can't reach them, it automatically goes to the second alternate. It would alternate. go to the second alternate. Or if they can reach them, but they're not, they're not able or willing to make those decisions. Would it then go to the second to alternate? Al- and I've also. Ha- I've seen situations where the person says, you know, I I have so much going on in my life. I have too much stress. I'm overwhelmed. I I can't serve in this role, this capacity right now, and so that that would go to the to the alternate. Okay. Absolutely. And who, when you do this healthcare proxy? Yeah. Do you make sure that, you know, you have the documents, but how do we know that the ambulance drivers are going to follow your, you know, or 
um, or the physician practice or the hospital, do you carry that with you, or do you make sure it's in there in the record? Maybe. Well, so so a couple of different things. So so with a healthcare proxy, again, what that is is that you're talking, you're appoint who you're appointing. That's what the healthcare proxy legal document. You're appointing somebody who's making decisions when the day comes that you're not able to do it for yourself. Now, you asked earlier, why do people not do this? Another one, I, I believe strongly that why people don't fill out a health care proxy is they think the minute they sign this form that they're losing control. Oh, giving up control. Yes. And that's now, tough on especially elders who are so fiercely independent yes. um, and want to remain independent. Absolutely. Now, I can reassure you that that shouldn't be a reason to stop you from doing this. Because the fact is that a healthcare proxy, once you fill this out, you do not lose control. Really, what happens is that form is in place, but it hasn't been activated yet. A healthcare proxy does not get activated until a person has been determined to lack capacity. And a per and how does that happen? Uh, it's a it's um, a medical doctor who is determining whether or not a person lacks capacity or not. So it's by healthcare professionals. Healthcare professionals determine capacity. Um, the court of law determines competency. They're two different terms. So really, what you're talking about with a healthcare proxy is is the does the person have capacity? You have capacity unless you've been determined by healthcare professionals that you lack it. So a healthcare proxy is a legal document, a piece of paper, but it is not activated until you have been determined. So I've had families come up and say, no, I'm my mother's healthcare proxy. I can get this information and make decisions. Well, no, you really can't because your mother has capacity and she is the person making those decisions. You are not her healthcare agent and that's not, you know, in, in terms of making those decisions until the healthcare proxy's been activated. So what happens is that they would actually write an, an order and a note in the chart saying when the person does lack capacity that they do, therefore the healthcare proxy has been activated. So can you give me examples when someone, how do you determine that someone lacks capacity? Like what would cause that? So when they, they don't understand or they're not able to understand that their, their illness, that the, the ramifications, the benefits, the burdens, when they're really, they don't have an understanding, they have cognitive impairment, other things that are going on, or that they are so ill that they really can't understand the scenario and the situation that they're in, and they can't make those decisions because they, they don't have a handle, they don't understand what's going on with them. Right, because they're just too ill, or their their cognitive uh, capacity has been impaired in some way, and they just can't make those decisions. So the doctor is looking at that to understand: do, does the person understand where they're at from this health perspective? Do they understand again the ramifications, the the benefits, the burdens? Are they really capable of making those decisions? And that's when healthcare professionals. Uh, generally a physician, physician assistant, nurse practitioner sort of a thing, will then determine, again, that if they, they lack capacity and they would put that order in. They don't take it lightly. So, you know, it's not like, oh, geez, you know, the person doesn't seem like they're just right today. It's not taken lightly. A person can even go in and have a minor surgery, and they might come out of surgery and have even something like a postoperative delirium where they sure, really are not aware. They, yep. And for a brief time, the healthcare proxy can be activated, and then it can be deactivated once the person's able to make those decisions again. So you can kind of bounce in and out. Surely, yeah, surely, yeah. Nobody's going to take away your decision-making capacity lightly. 
So it really is for when people lack that capacity and that so that person who is appointed as the agent then steps in. And there should be a comfort level with that. If you're worried about your, your person having to step in, that's why you got to pick that person pick wisely. Pick someone else if you're going to yeah. be worried, right? Yes, absolutely. And change it later on. If you pick someone today and five years from now you're not comfortable with that person or you've lost touch or there's been a falling out, just change the person. Listen, it's things easy change all do. the time, Lynn. People, look at life, right, in terms of things change in your life. You know, I, you know, I, from my own, I had my mother as my health care, as my, well, I had my spouse as my proxy, but my mother as my backup. My mother, my mother has Alzheimer's disease. She's not the person who should really serve in my backup situation now. But my daughter was also under 18 at the time. My daughter is in her 20s now, and after having a discussion with her, she would want to be a backup and serve in that capacity. But that was after a discussion. See how things change in life? Sure. So you you got to monitor that on an ongoing basis. People ask me that a lot. Do I have to change my health care proxy? Well, you should look at it and update it fairly regularly and to see, are there any changes that have happened? I had a person recently said, no, uh, they've had this for 15 years. Do I have to change it? I, I said, are there any anything changed in 15 years? Nope. I said, really? Nothing has changed in 15 years of life? Nope. I said, wow, that's remarkable, really, when you think about it. Sure is. Yeah. Most <laughs> 15 people, years is a long time. It's a long time. And most people, when you think There's back over the past 15 years, Lynn. I mean, I've gotten better, but I don't know. <laughs> Have you had stuff change in your Just life? Just a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So I, I was saying to her, that, so really, nothing has changed. So I said, so the person that you appointed as your health care agent and your alternate, their phone numbers and their addresses the same. Ooh, they haven't moved. Didn't even think of that. Yeah. Oh no, they've moved. No, those aren't the same. Well, things there have changed. Go. Then. Things have changed. Someone, said, nobody so will be able to reach them. them. And listen, this is a legal document, so don't start whiting out and crossing off. No, no, no. So when there are changes, update the document. When you're done completing the document, make sure two witnesses, and you're not using the agent who you're appointing as the alternate and the alternate as witnesses. What the witnesses are signing is that you understand the form, not that you're, they're agreeing with who you chose. They are witnessing that you understand the form that you're signing. It needs to be dated. I've seen many situations. I had a situation where I was working in long-term care years ago. Patient came in, advanced Alzheimer's disease. I asked the family for a copy of the health care proxy. They furnished it. And there was no date was on no it. Date. Is that null? Is it null, null and void? void. Oh, gee. Yeah, and I said to them, "This is null and void. There's no date." They said, "Oh, yeah, we filled that was filled out a few years ago. Just throw a date in there." And I said, "Oh, no, no, I can't do that. This is a legal document, and your mother is in a situation now where she doesn't understand even what this form is. So it's null and void. They had to go and pursue guardianship." I didn't make friends that day, but that's okay because I was a patient advocate. I don't know that they weren't in the hallway filling that form out, right? Correct. Yeah, you so don't know what you goes can. on. So it, they had to then go and pursue guardianship on her behalf because the form was null and void. And as we talk about in hospice all the time, you, you have to do everything before the crisis situation happens uh, yeah. because then everybody's in a panic everybody's rushing around it's costly yep. now to do a health care proxy my understanding is you can run the form off it's free you can fill it out and have it right and, and you can get a form from any health care organization 
any healthcare organization that receives Medicare and Medicaid dollars, they're mandated to have copies of these healthcare proxies and ask you about whether you have a healthcare proxy in place. They don't mandate you to fill one out, but they do need to ask you and offer you that option. That's that has to do with the Patient Self Determination Act of 1990. So you can get a form from anywhere. Make sure it's a Massachusetts healthcare proxy form if you live in Massachusetts. They're state to state. So really important. So if you live in Florida, you're not going to have a Massachusetts healthcare proxy form. If you lived in Massachusetts six months and you were a snowbird and lived in Florida for six months, have one in both places because you have Ooh, residency, okay. right? But you want to make sure that you have the form in the state that you're in because they, they're even, like even New Hampshire's, I believe, is called like a durable power of attorney of health care. They're called different things in different states. So you want to make sure that you have the form, because these are legal documents, that you have the form. It doesn't cost a cent, Lynn. If you plan. Yeah. If you plan, you can get this Get the get the form. Yeah. Get it filled out. Yep. Have it set up. But if you don't plan like that family, now they're going to court. Yes. Then it becomes costly. It becomes time consuming, and decisions aren't being made. And you're and, you in know an the emotional by, crisis. Right. right here, you are in an emotional crisis, and now you're sitting there, and you now you got to you have to go and sit in the courts for hours yeah. on end, and you're not guaranteed that the court is going to say, yes, okay, we're going to appoint you. And I'm going to back up because decisions are being made. I said decisions are not being made, but decisions are being made, but not it, the, the decisions might not be based on what the patient's that's wishes are. Absolutely. And that's what this this whole episode is about, is making sure your wishes are followed up until the very end. So if all these documents aren't in place, aren't signed, aren't dated, aren't available, you don't know what decisions that's are going correct. to be made for you. Who's driving the bus, mm. right? That's yeah. that's what this is about. People think they're losing control by 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 really doing these sort of things. You're taking control, gaining control, absolutely. And taking control. When Dri I, who's driving oh, the bus? Exactly. I want to be driving that yeah, bus. Of course you do. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Is it, when I was when I filled this out at 25, I wasn't thinking something was going to happen, and I actually had it filled out and total peace of mind. I could put it behind me and I could enjoy life because I didn't have the weight of these things hanging over me of who would be doing these things if something came up. Death and accident is not a respecter of age. These things happen all the time. Landmark cases as to why these things are, are actually even out there, healthcare proxies, how they came about were cases like Cameron Ann Quinlan, Terry Shavo, Nancy Krizan. These women were all young. They were in their 20s when this happened didn't have this stuff in place. You got to do it. You got to take charge. And then families, the families get pulled apart. There's fighting. There's fighting with, you know, nursing homes or the state. And it becomes, I mean, it was, it's, a, it's a circus. And yes. it's, it's a mess, like you said, at that yeah. point. And people have a right to take charge. You said it earlier on in this episode that, you know, we make decisions on all these things in our life. You know, uh, names of our children, this and that and the other thing. We constantly want to have control over what's going on. Why should this be any different? And right. you know what? Why we, we do plan? want it. We do want this control. But people shy away from it because of what we've talked about, the denial, the, the fear that we're going to lose control, the, you know, oh my, the magical thinking that if we do this, something bad's going to happen. We've got to put that all behind us. We've got to just take charge and live life and enjoy it and have this stuff in place. That's, that sounds right. 
a survey was done, and it shows that only about a third of the people have advanced directives, um, and people with chronic illnesses were only slightly more li likely to have an advanced directive. That means almost 70% of the population haven't discussed their own health care wishes and what they want at end of life with a partner, a family, friend, or even a health care professional. That's right. When I looked at those statistics, I'm like, oh, my gosh. That means how many people go to a physician on a daily basis, go to the hospital on a daily basis, get into a car accident. I mean, so much goes on, and they don't have advanced directives. So exactly. no one knows what their wishes are. If at that point, their end of life is near. Absolutely. And like you said, that statistic is actually, I, that, that's what I'm hearing most recent too. Still, only approximately 25 to 30% of the population has an advanced directive in place. It's still only around a third of the population. It doesn't make sense. With all the push that's on, no matter how much you talk about it, people still, they still have a hard time doing this. So tell me, Mary, when you, and we're talking about a health, you know, a, a healthcare proxy, advanced directives. What are some of the things people need to think about, like that, and talk to a healthcare proxy about? Um, you know, I know one because being in hospice, you know, most people want to die at home. Yeah. At you know, they don't want to be transported back to the hospital in an ambulance, and either die in the ambulance on the way to the hospital or be in the hospital and die. But what are some of the other things that they talk to their families about? Yeah, uh, heroic measures. You know, do, do people want to be on, do they want to be on life support? What kinds of interventions do you want? You know, do you want aggressive types of treatment, even if the intervention seems like the, the medical intervention may be futile? Do you want to be trying experimental things? What try to, you can't possibly cover every scenario, but you can give really good general guidelines you know, and, and I, you know, even talk, I've talked with my family about this, that, you know, would I want to have, I don't want to be kept alive on life support. The only reason I would want to be on life support if for a brief period of time it was utilized to stabilize me and if I was going to come back to what would be considered a reasonable quality of life. But if that's not what it looks like, please don't keep me alive on life support because for me, that's not quality of life. So everybody has to kind of talk about these different scenarios. There's some wonderful resource tools that can be used that are personal directives that can help with these conversations, that can help to guide them. These are forms that they, they are types of living wills, Lynn. Um, and you've heard of them, I'm sure, uh, the five wishes or mm -hmm. honoring choices. These are called personal directives and they're tools that can help people to start the conversation and to look at different types of things in terms of what they would want around life support and other things that they would like to do, like you talked about too, where they would want to be. Do they want to be at home? How, how would they want that to look? You know, the, you know, Pete, there is such thing as a good death. They've done studies on it, and the three components were that people had control, comfort, and dignity. Everything I'd want mm. when I, you know, when it's my time. Absolutely. And I think everybody else would, if they thought about it, if they really thought about it and said, you know, this is what I want to plan for. Those are the top three. I know, Mary, you you teach on this topic. I do. All you the go time. in front of, um, especially in April, where it was Healthcare Decision Month. I know you did multiple programs. Oh. You did a cable show. You were on other radio shows. 
around every, all around um, planning and advance directive. Absolutely. So I want I want the listeners to know that we have a wealth of information at Care Dimensions and in Mary Crow, you know, who's on the podcast with me today, that knows you know the advance directives and knows where to get information. Call us or Absolutely. you know or email us. I'm going to give you some information at the end of the show on how to get in touch with us. And we also have a lot of the Honoring Choices materials, which are fabulous. You can go on the Honoring Choices website, and yep. I believe they offer it in multiple languages. Yep. Um, I think it's called the Next Step Toolkit. Yep. So the Starting Toolkit and then the Next Step Toolkit. So they have two different components to it. It's excellent. They're excellent. fabulous. Honoring Choices is a wonderful organization. Us being in hospice, and we do a lot of work in hospice, we know how important it is for individuals uh, you know, to make their health care wishes known. Having the advanced directive spelled out will allow everyone to drive the bus and to take charge of their health care wishes. I mean, I, you know me, I'm a little bossy. I, t- I like to take charge every day. I, I'm going home and I'm making sure my health, you know, everything's yeah. in order and my kids are, you know, my kids are both, one's 19, one's 23, that everything's in place they, because they have it. you've convinced me it's, an, yeah. it's very important. I think we think with our kids, like, well, yeah, no, this isn't, yeah, I'll just make those decisions for them, all that, and that's not the way it's going to do. These are conversations that you need to be having with them now. Please join in for our next podcast, which is all about starting that conversation. Sounds because great. if you don't have that conversation, there's no way you're going to get to uh, filling out these advanced directives. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for listening again, and we'll be talking soon. Thanks for listening to Living Forever, Not an Option with Lynn Skarmis and Mary Crow. To learn more about Care Dimensions, please visit our website at www.caredimensions.org or check out our podcast website at www.caredimensions.org backslash podcast. We would love to hear from you with questions or comments. Please feel free to email us at podcast at caredimensions.org And of course, you can always call our office at any time. The number is 888-283-1722.